Hey everybody, welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X, and we of course gotta welcome back Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the father of the cutest Memphis Grizzlies fan in the world. How you doing, Ethan? I'm good. I'm ready. The man is in daycare, so I have free time to record podcasts and get work done. So I'm trying to take advantage of it. No, I understand. We're very happy to have you back. It feels like a million and one different things have happened since the last time you were on the show, from the Super Bowl to Kyrie, Katie, trades. I mean, it's been – the sports world has been kind of crazy, so it's great to have you back as we kind of gear up for the next next part of sports insanity. But uh, we got a great show for you guys today. It's going to be kind of a quicker one. But, uh, of course, we're going to kick things off with the college football player spotlight. We're going to talk about the combine prospects that we are most excited to look out for, as well as discuss the latest information surrounding by Derek Carr and his free agency sweepstakes. Uh, then with regards to the NBA, we are going to take a look at Damian Lillard and discuss if he really is underappreciated across the landscape. And then, finally, we're going to discuss if Shaq was right to question question Anthony Edwards' greatness, and whether or not we as fans have a tendency to anoint players as stars too quickly. But before we get to any of that, please should check out theexport.net, I repeat, theexport.net, for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers, previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this thing kicked off with the college football player spotlight. So we're going to do this a bit twofold. So last week, I came out with my first mock draft, which I hope y'all have read. If not, go ahead and head over to the export.net. Check it out. And um, Ethan, I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, but as, with the 11th overall pick, I had your Titans getting offensive tackle Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. With Taylor Lewan gone, I mean, it just makes the most sense to kind of replace probably arguably the biggest need on offense. But let's put you in the GM chair. With the 11th overall pick, realistically, who would you want your Titans to get? Um, 11, I'm trying to think who all will be available, because becoming a father, one of the things that is happening is you lose a lot of memory. I believe it. Sleep deprivation. Oh, so, I can only imagine. All right, well, rather than a specific player, what about position? What do you think is the position that the Titans have to hit on with this spot? I definitely, I definitely would say either offensive tackle or cornerback, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, this is a great cornerback draft, and I mean, offensive tackles, there definitely should be uh, quite a few at that spot. And I mean, we're going to get a great gauge of these NFL draft prospects this week during the combine. Later on today, they're going to be kicking off the first day of workouts, which is going to include D linemen and linebackers. Uh, and y'all, as you all know, linebackers my favorite position. Uh, so like you said, I mean, sleep deprivation, your mind's kind of all over the place, but are there a couple of uh, draft prospects that you're looking forward to their workouts? Um, obviously, I'm going to say, like, some of the Alabama guys. Um, it's the tight, I think it's the tight end from Notre Dame. Um, Michael Mayer. Yeah, Michael Mayer. I'm really interested in his. Um, I think the wide receiver from TCU, I forgot his name. Quentin Johnston. Yeah, him. So, like, it's just a couple of different positions, but probably the one I always look forward to the most is always defensive line and linebackers because those are my two, outside of running back, those are my two favorite positions. Um, and with running back, I don't know if he opted out, but I'm going to be John Robinson. He'd probably be another guy that I'm interested in. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he declared for the draft. He's he's definitely going to be the first running back off the board, and apparently he's going to uh, compete in all of the workouts. So I'm excited to see his workout. I think running backs are the last day. I think they're Sunday, but don't quote me. I think O-line and RBs are Sunday. But all right, uh, for me, I'm in the same boat with Quinn Johnson. While I get it, he's a physical freak, 6'4", north of 220 pounds, and fast. He drops a lot of balls. I believe his uh, career drop percentage is like 10 or 11%. That is ridiculous. And if you look at the history of Big 12 wide receivers, they already kind of get a bad rap. And so while I would love his size on the outside in Baltimore, 
you got to be able to catch. And so more than the 40, more than the shuttle, the broad jump, etc. I want to see what he does in his positional drills. If he has a lot of drops, that's going to be concerning to me. But if his hands look good, I think I feel more comfortable with Baltimore making that move. And then defensively, going with an LSU guy, outside linebacker B.J. Ojolari, I think one of the more underrated edge rushers of this class. While he's not as explosive as a Will Anderson and he doesn't have the length that Tyree Wilson has, I think B.J. Ojolari can really be a force for somebody. And I think he has a good enough workout that can help get him in the back end of the first round of the draft. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Um, we talked about it previously on the show about the head, the hirings of Frank Wright, uh, D'Amico Ryans, and Sean Payne to their respecting head coaching spots. And now, got a little time to talk about the Eagles losing both their offensive and defensive coordinators. Jonathan Gannon is headed to the Arizona Cardinals to take over, while Sean, Shane Steichen is going to the Colts to take over. I know that we've, you and I have spoken at length about both of these teams and kind of feeling like they have a lot more work to do before they can be competitive. But if you had to pick, which hire do you like the most? Um, between the Cardinals and the uh, Colts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, honestly, I'm going to have to say the Cardinals simply because, like, they already have some pretty decent, like, blocks in place. Like Tyler Murray, for whatever, whether you like him or you love him, if you can get the most out of Tyler Murray, you could potentially get a top 10 quarterback. And we all know right now how dominant of having a great quarterback can um, affect your chances in the NFL. And I think, you know, yes, they might be willing to, they might trade D Hop this um, offseason, but they have other guys that kind of been drafted or either traded for they can step in and make some plays like they have Rondell Moore. They traded for um Hollywood Brown. So like they have weapons. I honestly with, as far as the coach, I like their defense and I like Jonathan Taylor. And I think everything else outside of those two are very big. Yeah. Um right now between the two I think I would say I like the Gannon hire a bit more just because I feel like this is a team that has a lot of work to do defensively. And J.J. Watt's retiring. Um, oh, my gosh, another one of the edge rushers who I can see his face, but I cannot remember his name. He's slated to be a free agent. Byron Murphy slated to be a free agent. Essentially, they're going to pretty much have to remake this entire defense. And with the third overall pick, they can either draft a guy like Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson or even Jalen Carter, who we'll talk about later on. Or they could go ahead and trade back and kind of do what the Bears are going to do and just kind of add pieces so they can kind of stack up. With regards to the Colts, I think they're kind of in an opposite position. Like you mentioned, the Cardinals already have Kyler Murray, so they don't have to mortgage their future for a quarterback. Whereas the Colts, they're at the fourth overall pick and could stand pat and get a quarterback. But I think they're going to try to move up to get a guy like Bryce Young or maybe even C.J. Stroud at two. So because of that, I do think that they have – a bit more to go just because they're not going to be able to have the draft picks to kind of build the team in Shane Steichen's image. But either way, I think that they're in a good spot. Uh, moving on to probably the biggest coaching news of the past couple of weeks, and it has nothing to do with the head coach, but it's Eric Bieniemy. after um, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. It was announced that he was signing with the Washington Commanders to become their head, I mean, their offensive coordinator. Um, this move comes where Casey did want him back. enemy got an upgraded title and a chance to build his staff as well as, obviously, more money. I think you and I have kind of talked about this a bit, but do you think enemy made the right move leaving the Chiefs? Um, I think I think it'll be the right move depending on how Washington performs these next couple of seasons. Like, if we look up, I don't even think they have to make the playoffs this first season. But if we look up in the offense, it's been significantly improved, and they're like in the hunt for the playoffs. And say they lose out, maybe week eight, week, week seventeen, week eighteen, um, to a divisional opponent. I think they can do a lot for this 
don't like the move like logically i get it like a lot of reports were coming out that because eric b enemy was in kansas city and like you mentioned he has so many weapons and he was working under andy reed he really wasn't tested much as an offensive coordinator he just happened to be in no uncertain terms in the right place at the right time and i think that washington does provide a bit more of a challenge i mean look at what they have, like you mentioned, Ross, they don't know who their quarterback is. Um, their defense is fine. Offense really hasn't lived up to expectations. And if he does have success there, it makes a lot of sense because he could easily become a head coach next year if, uh, for example, the car, the commanders are a top 12 offense in the league. Because I think they do, if they get the right quarterback, I do think they have the personnel to be able to achieve that. But on the other hand, I hate that it had to come to that. I think that when you look at BNME and you look at, like I just mentioned with Gannon and Steichen, I mean, he's accomplished so much more than they have, and yet they instantaneously got head coaching opportunities while he still, for the second or third offseason, has been kind of put on the back burner not given that shot. And so I think that at one point it might have been interviews, but now it just kind of seems like, damn, like this guy really cannot get opportunity. And so, like you said, if it works out in Washington, it looks like a smart move and he'll eventually become a head coach. But if it doesn't work out, just imagine you had one of the cushiest and one of arguably the best offensive coordinating jobs in the NFL, and then you go to a bad offensive team, and then you look up, and then you're not getting any opportunities for anything because you're not having success. So I I don't like the move, but I understand it. All right, a couple more things before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Free agency kicks off in less than two weeks arguably one of the most exciting times in the NFL calendar year. And as we've started to see already, some players have become cap casualties or slated to be. For example, future Hall of Fame linebacker Bobby Wagner is set to be released by the Los Angeles Rams. Save money, Leonard Fournette, Robert Woods, uh, Taylor Lewan, Cameron Brait. It's happening all over the NFL. So I thought, uh, why not get a little, you know, let's be – put on our GM hats again for our favorite teams and kind of just talk three free agents, preferably realistic, that we will want to add to our respective squads. It can be guys who you who are or were already on your team and you want to bring back or do faces. But Ethan, who are three guys that you want to see as on the Tennessee Titans in this upcoming season? Orlando Brown, Bobby Wagner, and Either I'm going to list, I also would say, or Levante Davis, if, if Bobby Wagner isn't possible. Or I would say, um, I'm trying to see what receivers are like. They're speaking to me. It's not an awesome receiver not- group. Um, Odell headlines. Uh, you get DJ Chark. Uh, from the Lions, Darius Slayton from the Giants. Um, nah, I actually would say one, it would be I'd rather have one of these guys. Um, Brandon Graham, which I know he probably gonna get resigned by the uh, Eagles. Robert Quinn, maybe, or um, Yannick Ngakwe. I do love me Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, for me, I'm not going to lie to you. My list is boring. Justin Houston, I mean, he led Baltimore in sacks, and he's slated to be a free agent. EDC, a.k.a. Eric DeCoster, the Ravens GM, talked about it uh, yesterday at the Combine presser and said there'll probably be another late summer signing if Justin Houston comes back. Honestly, I'd gladly take him back in Baltimore. Number two for me, DJ Chark. Of course, I still want Baltimore to draft wide receivers, but even still, even if we use our first-round pick on one, we still need another receiver to add. I think DJ Chark really came on in the latter stages of uh, this past season with the Detroit, and he provides some much-needed speed on the outside. And then finally, Marcus Peters. I know I ragged on him quite a bit this year, especially after that Jags game where he gave up three touchdowns, including the game winner. But it's fine. fine. But, but I mean, just what he brings to the Baltimore's locker room, I think, is very important. And though 
cornerback is another position that I believe that Baltimore is going to try to invest in in the draft. I do think that Marcus Peters can still be a very valuable asset, and I think he still has a couple of years of being still a really good corner. So if I'm Baltimore, I'm not looking too far out. Just bring back the guys that we already have, which I know is very complicated with the whole Lamar Jackson saga. But still, I think you do that and you help your defense stay in good shape. All right, last piece. Uh, like I said, there's quite a few crap casualties going around. But there are some players who are probably going to be traded to gain some relief. And the biggest fish in that pond is cornerback Jalen Ramsey, who Tom Pellicero um, announced that it is very likely that Ramsey is going to be traded in the coming weeks. As we pretty much all guessed, the Los Angeles Rams, after winning that Super Bowl, had no cap space, thus leading to the releases and letting multiple free agents walk. Jalen Ramsey seems like one of the next big guys to come off of the team. So being realistic, what team do you think would be the best fit for Ramsey if he is traded? Mm, very realistic. Uh, if we're going the route of him wanting to win, I would say the Chiefs or the 49ers or maybe even Buffalo. But and also, if we're going, but if we're going the route of him chasing the bag, I would say. I would say the Titans. I would say, realistically, I think the Chiefs are the best fit from top to bottom. I mean, they have the 31st overall pick. Let's be honest. The Chiefs don't really need that pick, so I think that they could easily trade that one over uh, to L.A. in honor and able to get Jalen Ramsey. And I think just being realistic, what is the one position that for years, despite all the success that the Chiefs offense has had and all the great playoff success and championships that they've won, their their secondary remains the one position that everybody's like, man, this group is bad. And we've seen it quite a bit, whether it be the Super Bowl, their games against the Bengals, etc. Their secondary suffers some tough blows. And I think that while um, I do like Trent McDuffie, I think he has potential. Legereus Need is fine. You bring in a guy like Jalen Ramsey, that's a game changer. And I think that he can kind of have a similar overall impact on that defense, kind of like Tyron Matthew had when he signed a few years back and just providing them that leader on the back end to really help them take the next step forward. So as much as I don't think the NFL landscape would like it, if I'm the Chiefs, I'm all over it. I'd gladly bring in Jalen Ramsey. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And let's start off with NFL draft prospect Jalen Carter. You and I talked about it before we kind of got into the throes of draft season. You mentioned he's one of, if not your favorite, uh, defensive players in this class. Star defensive tackle at um, Georgia. And in quite a few mock drafts, they have the Bears selecting him first overall. However, yesterday it was announced that an arrest warrant warrant, uh, was put out for Jalen Carter uh, following the fatal car crash that ended up killing a former uh, Georgia player and staff member, which, of course, our condolences to them. Uh, While it seems like he's only going to be facing misdemeanor charges and at worst maybe a year in jail as well as, um, oh, my gosh, oh, community service, Still, this is pretty this is a pretty hard thing to have on your record. So, believable or buffoonery, Jalen Carter's arrest will knock him out of the top ten. Philly's got the tenth pick. Um, Lions are up there. Seahawks are up there. Atlanta's up there. I'm going to say buffoonery simply because, and I'm what I'm about to say. You probably because you said the Seahawks are in the top ten. Like, yes, the Seahawks they have a lot of different holes that they need filled on their roster. But we know that the Seahawks, like Pete Carroll has no problems taking guys that people think is bad, that have bad character issues 
Yeah, I'm going to call buffoonery on that as well. I think that while these are serious charges, like it's not like he's going to face substantial jail time if he gets jail time at all. Like I said, it just sounds really bad. Because when it first happened, I was like, dang, like he might fall out of the first round. But as more information started to come back, and he apparently last night he went to Athens, and now he's already back in Indianapolis to complete some interviews for the Combine. I don't think it's going to have too much of an effect. I didn't think he was going to go number one overall anyway, just because I think a team was going to trade up to take a quarterback. But um, I think he's still going to wind up being taken. Maybe not within the first three picks like I had in my mock, but I think he's still going to – I don't – I think the potential is too – it's too strong for a team to be like, actually, nah, we're good. We're not going to take that chance. All right, let's go ahead and move on to um, a possible rule change. Um, during the uh, NFL competition committee's meeting, uh, they discussed potential rules that could be changed. One that really stuck out was a team proposed a rule change that would make roughing the passer a reviewable play. I mean, we saw roughing the passer calls affect many a game this past season. So, believable or buffoonery, the NFL should make roughing the passer a reviewable play. Believable. I mean, it cost um, it cost several teams games this year. Um, it also cost um, Patrick Mahomes a Super Bowl uh, several years ago when they played the um, when they played the Patriots. Oh, that was a uh, offsides call. Yeah, I'm also going to say believable. I just think that even if it is, I don't think it's going to get overturned that often, um, which I think is going to spark even more frustration. I think it's probably going to end up being something like when pass interference was reviewable. They might try it for a year and see how it goes, and then we go from there. But I do think that at the very least, these calls should be, get looked at. All right, fast forward. I talked about Derek Carr a bit at the top of the show. He was one of the three quarterbacks with a lot of news surrounding them in terms of where they're going to play this upcoming season. It was announced that at the combine he was going to be meeting with the New York Jets, the New Orleans Saints, and I want to say Carolina Panthers, but I could have that wrong. Either way, Derek Carr is on a mission to meet teams, and the New York Jets provided him with a pretty strong push. Diana Rasuni of ESPN said the Jets made it per really personal too. They said, we believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So let's go ahead, get out of crystal balls, look into the future. Let's say Derek Carr actually does the new lead the New York Jets to a Super Bowl. Believable or buffoonery, he would become a Hall of Famer. believable um I'm also saying calling buffoonery on that because I mean Matthew Stafford just won a Super Bowl in LA he's not gonna be in the Hall of Fame like and not to discredit him or anything but I mean one Super Bowl does just not erase everything else that you've done in your career and up until this point Derek Carr really has not done much of note and so because of that yeah I'm calling buffoonery all right, let's talk about somebody who obviously is going to make the Hall of Fame, though, and that is Andy Reid, who conversations after he just won his second Super Bowl have started to arise about where does he stand in terms of the all-time greats. Um, throughout his career, he has the fifth most career wins with 247, second most all-time playoff wins with 22, 10 conference championship game appearances, four Super Bowl appearances, and two Super Bowl wins. So, believable or buffoonery, Andy Reid is a top three all-time NFL coach. Top five, top six, but I don't think I can. 
I'm going to agree with you. I think that if he wins another ring, I would put him over the guys like you mentioned, like a Jimmy Johnson or a Lombardi. But, yeah, I think he needs one more. But like you said, top five, I think is I think it's perfectly fine. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. It's been a while since we've done this. It's time to give our Mamba Players of the Week. So, you're back. First time back in a while. Who's your Eastern Mamba? Eastern Mamba. That's funny. Powell's my rookie Mamba, so spoiler alert. Uh, my Eastern Mamba is going to be Donovan Mitchell. I mean, just over the course of the year, he's been playing lights out. I mean, he's really made, in my opinion, has made the uh, Cavaliers a fun team to watch. And, I mean, he's really helped them to be really successful. So I would go uh, Donovan Mitchell, especially after this latest slate of games. All right, Western Mamba, we may have the same person. One, Tamitri's Jamil Morant, also known. That's, that's fair. Uh, ja was my second option. I got to go Damian Lillard. Like, I know everybody's looking at that 71-point game, and rightfully so. He was amazing. But since uh, I'm looking at it now, since February 6th, he has had only one game that he has not scored more than 30 points. And even in that game, it was against the Warriors where he had 25. I mean, Dame has just been lights out. And I know there were questions about at his age, will he still be able to, like, and the injuries he sustained. If he could continue to take on such a heavy load and carry the Trailblazers, the answer is an obvious and easy yes. He has been just remarkable. So he's got to be my mamba. All right, let's talk about our uh, top three takeaways of the past uh, week. We'll say past few weeks of action. Everything and the beat LeBron by himself the year before when Kyrie 
That was your two. three. Yeah. Number two, I definitely would say like uh, people need to. I, I understand the whole like that people don't want to call you up to repeat again. It's boring. It's played out. Um, but like, and I do agree with some of the things that have been said. But like, people also have to understand that Nicole Jokic is the best player on the best team in the West, and I think in the NBA as a whole. And that counts for something. Like, if you, uh, in all honesty, if you remove Nicole Jokic from the Nuggets, I don't. I think they either make the playoffs as like a play-in, or they barely like scratch and claw and miss the playoffs by a handful of games. And you have him because of him, they're sitting firmly atop the Western Conference. And uh, my number one, people, people need to just realize, like, yes, Josh said, I'm fine in the West, and it was Alabama, and it was brash, but. It, People need to realize that, like, and they had a really bad stretch of games, but it's a long season. And, like, now they're looking like the, after this all-star break, they're looking like they're back locked in. And I wouldn't be surprised if I look up and they somehow get the number one seed in the West. And then what are you going to say? Yeah, because, you know, people love to hate the Grizzlies. Uh, My number three is... It remains to be seen if AD can step up in LeBron's absence. As we all know, LeBron suffered a right foot injury, and though he will not need surgery, he's expected to be out for at least the next couple of weeks. Anthony Davis, the Lakers won last night, but he didn't play the second leg of their back-to-back, and honestly, I don't see that changing. And I just think that if there was ever a time for AD to show, hey, this can be my team, it's right now. And I just don't necessarily have the confidence that he's able to do it. Not because he's not a great player. It's just he's he's so unreliable. It's like I always say it, but the best ability is availability. And he has not consistently been available throughout any of his NBA career. Not just since he's been with the Lakers, but it seems like since this these past couple of years have been worse. I think especially because the Lakers have had such high expectations since winning that ring. And then not making the playoffs last year. And then now it's like the fight to get back in. This is the perfect time for him to step up. I just don't trust that he can do it. Uh, Number two, I'll admit I am still skeptical of the Knicks, but I'm not naive. Jalen Brunson has been impossible to ignore. Um, I mean, right now they're riding a what seven-game win streak. They're currently fifth in the Eastern Conference with a 37 and 27 record, nine and one in the last ten games. While I wouldn't call them a superpower in the conference by any means, I do think that the Knicks absolutely have an opportunity to be a team that can't be overlooked. I mean, Jalen Brunson has been terrific over this current stretch. Since adding Josh Hart, the team seems to have a bit even more of a boost. And I think that that's something that shows why Knicks fans are quietly starting to have some confidence and belief because their team is playing at a really, really high level and doing so against tough competition. It's not like they're going up against the bottom of the league or really bad teams. I mean, they've had good games against quite a few good opponents. Um, that includes teams like the Miami Heat, who are going to be coming up. They've beaten the Jazz, who've played pretty well. I mean, they've stuck it out really close with the 76ers. Um, they beat the Celtics just this past Monday. So, I mean, they've done a terrific job of staying afloat, and that's something that we really haven't seen in a while from the Knicks. So, I'm interested to see how, what they turn that into. And then finally, I know whether it's substantiated or not, the latest John Morant off-the-court drama is becoming a bit um, concerning. Uh, yesterday, it was an, reported uh, that John Morant was accused of punching a 17-year-old uh, 12 to 13 times and flashing a gun at him during a pickup basketball game last summer. Mind you, it was also reported that last summer he had gotten into another altercation with another kid. I think it's another kid. But su- sufficient to say, even if these people are just trying to get money or if they're just trying to 
get their name out there. I don't know. But admittedly, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm sure as a Grizzlies fan, it's like this is not what you want to hear. Like the Grizzlies are doing so well, and they've already had to deal with so much on-court adversity. The last thing you want to hear is your star player getting in trouble for doing stupid stuff. Because I think one time, all right, whatever. The second time, it's like, huh? And then God forbid more news of things like this happening come out. I think it's only going to be a matter of time before the Grizzlies and the league overall are going to have to kind of step in and do something about Ja if this behavior continues. Yeah. Uh, so the whole point of the 17 year old kid, I this them retelling the same story kind of. It's the same. It's, it's, it's honestly the same as that story kind of a couple, I think a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And then they died down It's just coming back out again. Like it's brand new. Um, but he has done some things since the whole Indiana Pacers and his friends and the laser pointer potentially being a gun situation. And apparently it was a situation with a, a small security guard mm-hmm. where something popped up where I think he flashed the gun at the mall security guard or whatever. Um, as a fan, I do think that the character, I do think that these things need to be rectified. Um, but I also think that, like, in the instance of the 17-year-old, I think people tend to get in this mindset of, like, oh, you're around a celebrity or somebody that's a public figure. And you can do whatever you want, and they're not going to respond. Yeah. And I don't know if that was, and I don't know if that was the case. I don't know the situation. I wasn't there, but I just know that there tends to be a thing of like we've seen like what we did is regular civilian. Shout out Dylan Brooks. Um, we've seen like regular civilians be around stars and do and say things. Because they know they have the protection of the person's influence and them not being willing or able to do things that a normal person would do. Right. Like, if I play a basketball, if I'm, in a, if I'm playing basketball, and I'm a different person, so let me not speak on now. But you can still understand now. If I'm playing a game with pick up basketball and somebody throws a ball at me, I'm going to want to, I might not do it, but I'm going to want to punch you in the face. Yeah. I don't care. And, like, if you think, like, hey, just because you're playing with John Moran, you throw a ball at him, he's not going to react. Like, something's wrong with you. Because at the end of the day, he's still here. Right. Like, he, like he's going to react just like anybody else would. Um, but I definitely think that his character, like, I think that his, he has to understand. And I think I heard Alan Iverson talking about it. It's like, bro, you have an opportunity to be like a legitimate superstar in this league and you have to cut out the things that you're doing. And that's coming from AI, the guy that was like, at one point, the poster for being like the bad boy in the NBA. Um, and he's older now, that's the thing. And I think John, his job was like 20, almost 25. So he's incredibly young and he thinks that he can still, he can still do the things that he's done. But it's like when you have such a uh, when you have such a big influence and following, and, like people like when they see Jai get excited, like you can't do these type of things. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. So, like especially because I mean, you just got your new shoe deal. I heard he just signed with Powerade. Like the last thing you want is to start losing money because they're just doing stupid stuff. Um, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to some coaching news. You and I talked had a long, lengthy conversation about the Atlanta Hawks and where they stand right now, um, especially because they eventually ended up deciding to fire Nate McMillan, and shortly thereafter, they hired Quinn Snyder to be their new head coach. I like this move. I mean, I still stand on uh, what I said to you off air regarding to I think they still, with their current roster, I don't think that they have enough to be a championship contender. But I do think that uh, Quinn Snyder can help them at least get the best out of what they currently have. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't think I don't think they have like they're going to play for a championship. I think that Quinn Snyder. I do think that they have pieces to where like, hey, 
mega surprise run to the Eastern Conference Finals, then they might lose. They might get slipped. But I can see that, especially because, like, when he's who, when he was in Utah, he got the most out of those Jazz teams. Like, he was the guy, if you haven't noticed, Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert isn't in Utah. He's a big coach by Quinn Snyder. He isn't that dominant defensive player of the year caliber player that he was in the past. And I know some of that also might have to do with old age, older age. I'm not going to say older age. But it also can come down to coaches' game. Like, Quinn Snyder's game the defense to highlight Rudy Gobert's skill set. And I think that he could do similar things for players in the amount. Like, offensively, you have Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. You have a good backcourt. Yes, they, they have, like, contrasting styles. Trey Young is a, a three-point sniper. DeJounte loves the mid-range. But they both can get in the lane. Now you just kind of have to feel their roster out. And um, think how you want to construct it. So, I, I like the hire. I actually love it. Um, so, yeah. I just I just wonder how life for Quinn Snyder is going to be going from coaching in Utah for however many years to living in Atlanta. That is that's got to be the biggest shift. Oh, got to. Absolutely got to. But yeah, I'm excited to see the Quinn Snyder era of Atlanta. I like Nate McMillan. I hope he lands on his feet somewhere. Probably get an assistant coaching role, but that's going to be fun seeing uh, Snyder in Atlanta. All right, a couple more things before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Uh, looking at some injury news, unfortunately, um, point guard for the Charlotte Hornets, uh, LaMelo Ball is expected to miss the remainder of the year after suffering a fracture in his right angle. A tough blow for the Hornets this year. Speaking of tough blows, Shaquille O'Neal is no stranger to them. And recently when discussing Anthony Edwards' latest performances, uh, he kind of retorted the questions of him actually being a top guy and said, where I come from, you have to be great for a long period of time. We all remember Jeremy Lin, what happened to him? While I don't think it's fair to compare Anthony Edwards to Jeremy Lin because he's a substantially better player I do think that Shaq has a point, not necessarily about Anthony Edwards, but just in general. I think that we as fans and members of the media, we have a tendency to kind of anoint players after as stars just because they may be exciting or maybe because they provide a boost to their team. But I think that the definition of being a star player has definitely softened. I think that the requirements aren't there as much. But what do you think? Do you think that overall – it's much easier for players to be considered stars than in the past. So I think for me, it boils down to this. Um, do I think Anthony Edwards is a star? Yes. Do I think Anthony Edwards is a superstar? No. No. And that's where I, that's why I ride the line. Because I get what Shaq is saying and I do agree. But I think you, you have players that have to do it for a while in order to be a superstar. Like, I'm going to use this analogy. Michael Jordan came to the NBA outside of his rookie season when he hurt his ankle. He, from the minute he touched the court, he was a star. Like, he was the biggest attraction in the NBA. But it took him going through losing in the playoffs, going, hitting his legs, getting on the team with Scottie Pippen and winning the championship, and that's when he became a superstar. So, like, even Shaq, like, Shaq was in, Shaq was then, regardless of what he thinks, if you talk to people in the, um, that were fans in the entire frame, like my father, um, man, if I was to ask him, when Shaq was in Orlando after his rookie season, People assume, people consider Shaq a star. And that's probably his second or third season in the league. When he became a superstar, is when he won his one a couple years down the line when he won championships with the with the letters. So I don't think people are quick to deem people stars, especially a guy like Anthony Edwards, who has shown to be capable of knowing this for multiple seasons and like he's really improved his play. I think it's a difference in being deemed a superstar and a, being a star rather than a superstar. 
I think Anthony Edwards is rightfully considered to be a star in this league, but he isn't a superstar because he hasn't accomplished anything worthy of becoming a superstar. I, I feel you. I definitely agree with you on the superstar slash star comparison because I, I recently had a conversation about that like on the NFL level and I mean I think there is a discrepancy but I do think that in the NBA a lot of players are like anointed as stars and I don't think that they are like I think for example I think just because you're your team's best player that doesn't make you a star like for example Laurie Markkinen has been amazing for the Jazz this year he's not a star he's not a star and another example controversial opinion I don't think that LaMelo Ball is a star yet. I think he's really I think he's really good, but he hasn't done anything to be considered a star. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like I think that but of course because you're your team's best player, you're going to get that title. People going to look at you like you're the guy, but I think it's a difference between being really good and being a star. And so I I do think that we probably uh, just in, uh, we as a people in general could be a bet- better job of like differentiating the two, but yeah, because I but I do think the probably the biggest discrepancy is between superstar and star. Like, because just because you win a ring, I don't think that makes you a superstar. Like, I think I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. You said what? Yeah, he's not a superstar. I want to call him a star. He's a really good player. But I wouldn't classify him in either of those categories. Um, and I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, okay, Milwaukee Bucks. I think that Drew Holiday is a very good player. Would I classify him as a superstar? Absolutely not. I wouldn't classify Chris Middleton as a superstar. There's only one superstar on that team, and it's obviously Giannis. I don't want to hear any conversation about any of the rest of them being superstars because that's not real so yeah i do but i do think shag absolutely has a point about who's a quote-unquote star and who's not all right last thing uh overtime games there's been quite a few taking place but of course the one that got the most flack was the sacramento kings 176 to 175 win over the los angeles clippers that went into double overtime the highest scoring nba game in history however while it was exciting for viewers to watch the nba is trying to prevent that from happening again uh via eric pinkus uh, it came out uh that the nba could reportedly implement a target score for overtime games he added that would prevent overlong broadcasts and overloading players minutes like uh the clippers forward Kawhi leonard playing 46 minutes in that double overtime game. First and foremost, Kawhi Leonard should never be an example for overplaying a pay a player because it's not like he plays enough games. So him playing 46 minutes in one game is probably the most he played that whole week. And I'm not even saying that to be funny. Like I genuinely with how many games he misses, he's okay. But I understand the whole I can understand you don't want to have the elongated broadcast or whatever, but the thing is if people are invested in a game, they're going to watch it. If anything, games are more exciting if they do go to overtime, if they do last longer. So I think that the NBA will be stupid to put a target score, especially because how are you going to determine a target score anyway? It's not like every game that goes into overtime always has the same score. So who's going to determine that target score? What if they don't reset target score until five overtimes? Like, I just think all this is stupid. Yeah, it's a- I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what year, but it was a year where I think the Grizzlies went into like a five overtime game, and I watched all five overtimes, and I and it ended like at one o'clock. Yeah. And I was invested. Yes, I get the whole concept from the like you said from the broadcast standpoint. My thing is, if you're willing from a, from the players playing excessive amount of minutes. If you're willing to do all of this for overtime rules, just cut the NBA season down to 72 games instead of 80 something. Like, it's been several people and former NBA players and all that have said just reduce the season. Like, that makes the most sense. Why is it, y'all want to do all of these other things, but y'all don't want to do Thing it might even actually help this low management issue, which is no playing. That's a guy. 
it's a bad idea. But, you know, I'm a guy that, you know, I'm not in the NBA circles. I'm just a guy that talks about the sport that he loves. Yeah, so hopefully the NBA wouldn't do it because, like you said, I mean, there's better ways to work on load management. Changing overtime rules is not one. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Uh, my Mamba pick of the week, Damian Lillard, kind of talked about his legacy on uh, the via on the Point Forward podcast and said, "They'll never give me credit for what I've done. They better pray I don't win a championship for the Blazers." And I mean, I will admit. I find myself at times kind of forgetting just how bad of a dude Damian Lillard is. So I think I would have to say believable that Damian Lillard is underappreciated in terms of the NBA landscape. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's hard because, like, one, the biggest thing is the biggest thing is he's not in a big market. Yeah. Like, he cannot win a championship, but if he plays for the Knicks, he'll be on um, – I think, I don't know, have you seen, it's, it's, a, it's a video on Instagram by RDC World, and they're talking about how House of Highlights is uh, only post certain people, and they actually referenced Dane, and it was like a video saying like, Dane had 50, they won the game, and then Luca had 50 and lost, but they posted all Luca highlights. Uh, and like, that's, I completely agree, like, if Dane were in a different market, I feel like regardless if you won or lost, it plays a big part. And I just think, like, when it comes down to Dane, the most attention he always gets is people talking about, hey, you need to be important. They don't talk about him just like the great player that he's been these handful of, handful of years in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Um, and, yeah, I mean – I didn't see uh, the video you're talking about, but, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because right now Luka is the sexy name. Luka's the hot guy. And rightfully so, he's a great player. But I think that – I think because it kind of gets, of course, not to the level of LeBron or anything, but Dame is Dame. We expect him to kind of score a lot of points. And because and also it doesn't help that the Trailblazers aren't really winning anything. And especially over the last couple of years after they trade a lot of players away, like C.J. McCollum, the Blazers are just a team that's kind of there. Dame is great, but the team overall is not. And so that's definitely, I feel like, played a role in why Dame's production and everything falls under the radar because it's like, yeah, you dropped 70, but, I mean, who cares? So I, I think he is very much so underappreciated. Um, you talked about this earlier in your takeaways with regards to Kevin Durant and his excessive uh, – Team hopping. And he said he honestly doesn't think it's that big of a deal um, with regards to NBA trade requests. He said it's bringing more eyes to the league. More people are more excited. So I think it's great for the league, to be honest, like I said, in referencing trade requests. And, I mean, I think he does have a point. with all, Especially around the trade deadline, it's a lot of craziness that goes on. It hasn't been many years like this year where so many stars were traded at the deadline. But – Believable or buffoonery? Frequent NBA trades make the NBA better. Uh, I think so. Just from a uh, interaction standpoint and excitement standpoint, like me, I do kind of agree with the adage of the old dog. Like, I would prefer people to stay on the side and and grow organically. But then it's also like. If you were to tell me this offseason, I get a notification on my phone saying that let's just go kind of out there saying that LeBron and those selectors are coming business. I would be excited. Um, or if you were to say Bradley Bill as the Wizards and Captain Memphis, I would be ecstatic. Or if I saw that Daniel finally decided, like, hey, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to uh, leave Portland and he goes to the Lakers to help run Aggie. I think those are the things, like those are some of the things that like really, really, and it's only, I think it's only possible in the NBA because you're dealing with uh, like a smaller number of players than the NFL. And I, I think that's a key part of what makes the NBA exciting, especially in the offseason. 
yeah, I think that's why so many people said that the NBA has the best offseason of any of the teams just because so much change happens. And I think it does make the NBA better, but I just hate – I don't want it to get up to the point where it seems like every year, every couple of years, the stars are on different teams because then I think it kind of makes it not as fun. They don't just feel like college where every few years – your best player are, like, moving on. They're gone. And I just – I like to see the players stay for a little while, just kind of build that continuity. Of course, in cases like a Dame or Bradley Bill, you totally understand why they'd want to leave. But just, like, kind of like in the case of KD, it was like, all right, a year and a half or so, you're already ready to go. That's kind of like – All right, last but certainly not least – before we close out this bad boy, uh, DeMar DeRozan was asked about the MVP conversation as well as the amount of games players should play in order to win MVP, to which he said all 82, by minimum 78. Believable or buffoonery, the NBA should put a minimum on games that players have to play to qualify for MVP. Yeah, I would say believable as well for pretty much anything that you just said. I mean, and plus, like you said, maybe it will make players want to play more than I'm sure because I'm sure a lot of players got, like, contract um, incentives if they were to win MVP or if they rank high in the ranking. So I think that makes sense. But, all right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Yes. Um, and this excludes you for Lakers fans. Get out y'all feelings, bro. Like, yes, we posted the Shannon Sharp. Lakers fans were mad about that? <laughs> Why? Lakers fans are mad Yeah, you know what? Lakers fans are mad about everything. Never mind. Yeah, like, people talking about, like, y'all never won a championship. Half the, I'm going to say this. Almost more than half of the people that are probably repeatedly saying this, more than half of the championships that the Lakers have won have it before you were born. So stop talking about the championships. Like, Stop saying, oh, we didn't have Bron and D'Angelo Russell. Y'all didn't even like D'Angelo Russell until he came back to the Lakers. Yeah. And y'all didn't like Bron. Y'all, y'all hated Bron until he decided to come to LA. So stop. Like, get out y'all feelings. Saying, oh, y'all gonna be put, be put out in the first round. Y'all not gonna make the playoffs. <laughs> so, there, there. at least you get a chance to fight for our chance of the championship. Y'all gonna be sitting at home. Yeah, it's okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to take it personally. I'm with you though. I hear you. But yeah, wasting an all time great career, and y'all gonna complain about. So that's my two cents. And you can, and like, if you need to say something to me after the show or doing the show, that's fine. But he's just annoyed me seeing like how did like this man's got to make this because the his page posted that day. That is so stupid that the Lakers got better. Especially because it's like, Shannon not on the team? Why are you mad? He's a fan. That's stupid. Uh, Yeah, no, Lakers fans are, I hate to say it, we are very comparable as a whole to, like, Cowboys fans. So I'm, I do apologize. Um, I don't like to claim these people. Yeah, that's BS, though. Uh, But Lakers, I, I, I think we'll be in the play-in. I don't – if LeBron don't play, then we're not going to make it at all. But if LeBron becomes back later in the year, we got a shot. Um, Yeah, and also, all I also I really got is be sure to check out the um my mock draft. I'm going to have another one after the combine. Please don't ask me when. Give me, like, at least a couple weeks. Probably wait till, like, a mm, couple weeks after free agency, too, just so, like, I'll have a sense of where people are. 
um, and what positions that people need. And so, yeah. Again, thank y'all so much for listening. It's always a pleasure. Ethan, very happy to have you back. And we will see you all next time.